Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Today is the first Sunday in Lent. If you've been attending church for some time in your life, you'll know that on the first Sunday in Lent each year, we hear a bit about why it's a a 40-day season, and that's because on the first Sunday of Lent, we always hear one of the stories of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness for 40 days. There are four gospel accounts, as you all know, but only three of them tell of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And only two of those three tell of that temptation period with any real uh, detail, and that's Matthew and Luke's gospel accounts. John doesn't make any any mention of the 40-day period, and Mark, as Mark often does, recounts the story in a very quick way. Two verses, that's all that Mark says, uh, uses to say about the temptation. I'll read Mark's version to you just to remind you how short it is. Mark says, And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Mark sort of gives us the, the Cliff Notes version, the Wikipedia version of the story. Matthew and Luke, though, they're, they're different. They go into more detail, and they tell us some of what happened to Jesus during this 40-day period in the wilderness. They spend more time telling us about the strange encounter that Jesus has with the devil. Now, if you were to paint a picture of these encounters, I wonder how it is you would portray these two characters. I'm guessing that the picture that would quickly come to your mind of Jesus is uh, a man in a long robe, maybe a, a scraggly beard, somewhat gaunt looking, as he has not eaten anything during this, this time. He's famished, Luke says in the Gospel account. And then, of course, when we picture the devil, we start to paint a sort of reptilian-like character, red in color, maybe, maybe with horns, very unpleasant looking. He's smart, he's cunning, he's, he's not afraid to use trickery to tempt us. Here's the thing, though. The pictures that we paint of the devil in our minds aren't exactly scary. Intimidating, maybe, but, but not scary. We've sort of disnified the devil. And I say disnified because had Jesus encountered a red reptilian-like character with horns, then it probably would not have been much of a temptation for him. Most of us, if faced with a character like that, would likely be able to avoid those temptations. And that's because it's an almost comical image of the devil. The harder devils to ignore are the ones that look like you and me. The ones who offer us those things that that really tempt us, wealth and and power and safety, or even worse, the, the devils who try to redefine who we are. When faced with that devil, our paintings start to look a bit different and we can better understand what it means to really be tempted. I think that the the heart of the story that we hear today in Luke's Gospel account is, is all about identity and the wrestling that Jesus goes through in further learning who, who he is. Remember, this, this story of the temptation comes immediately after Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. That's what's happening right before this story. Jesus goes into the water at the end of Luke chapter 3, and as he, as he comes out, the clouds part, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and the voice from heaven tells Jesus the truth of his identity. You are God's son. You are beloved. 
you are precious. And with you, God says, I am well pleased. And then immediately after that, he is driven, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it's, it's while he's in the wilderness that he, he has to face the devil and all of the assaults on his identity. Turn this, turn this stone into bread. Bow down and worship me. Throw yourself down. Three, three temptations, three opportunities to walk away from his identity, to walk away from who God says he is. So often I think we tend to think of temptations as those things that that we shouldn't do. Maybe we're tempted to to cheat or to steal or to lie. We know we shouldn't do those things, and sometimes we're tempted anyway. But, But temptation can also come in the form of others trying to tell us who we are or who we should be. Notice how each of these three temptations in our gospel story, bread and and power and safety, each of these three temptations seeks to erode and undermine the confidence that Jesus has in his relationship with God, and as a result, to undermine his identity, who, who God says he is, the beloved one. Jesus' temptation is, is, as one biblical commentator calls it, really nothing more than identity theft. You are this, God says, and the devil responds, yes, but, but you could be that. And it happens all the time in our lives, too. Think about how much weight we put behind what others say about us. Friends, colleagues, companions, advertisers, those in power. What they say about us can shape how we think and talk and talk about ourselves and identify ourselves. Social Scientists and psychologists, sociologists call this, this process social influence. One way that they say we are influenced is by the, the process of internalization. That is taking what others have said about us and over time willingly, willingly accepting those things as, as our own truth, our own viewpoint. When our, our parents and our teachers and mentors tell us that we matter, that we're important, that we can do great things, many of us internalize those things and they shape how we think about ourselves. Conversely, social scientists say that that we can also be influenced in in very negative ways by manipulation or by coercion. Think about the harm that a a bully or an accuser can do when they tell a person over and over again that they are worthless or that they are bad or that they do not matter. That's, That's manipulation and coercion. In short, who someone else says you are and what someone else says you can or cannot be can shape who you say you are in both good ways and in harmful ways. So it's not just physical, tangible temptations that we have to consider, the bread, the power, the safety. We're, we're surely tempted by those things in various ways all throughout our lives. But the, the trickier devil, the craftier father of lies, is the one who tempts us to question who we are, who God has called us to be, and thereby reorient our lives in a hazardous direction. There was an article in the Atlantic magazine a few weeks ago by, by Derek Thompson. Maybe some of you saw it. And in it, he, he wrote about the obsession that many of us have with, with being defined, being identified, not by our, our family or by our religion or by our hobbies or by those things that, that make us happy, but instead by, by our work. Thompson calls this obsession in the article the gospel of work or, or workism for short. He defines workism in this way. He says it's the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief, he says, that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. In the article, Thompson traces the 
the history of the American work ethic and how it's changed over the decades to become what it is today, at least for, for most white-collar workers, and that is, he says, a religion. He doesn't conclude that there is anything wrong with hard work. That's not the point of his piece on workism. He says there's nothing wrong with work when work must be done. But he writes the the dangers of workism is when we turn our desks into altars, our, our work into our religion. And he says it can become dangerous because we can more easily become depressed, anxious, bitter, and unhappy. In short, Thompson says that that workism seeks to tell us that unless we do all that we can do to reach the very top in our work lives, family, health, sanity be damned, then we aren't good enough. But the truth is, and you all know this, the truth is that that even even if we reach the top, even if we achieve all of our goals, it's, it's often still not enough, or even worse, it's not truly as fulfilling as we thought it might be. Workism, I think, makes us respond as John D. Rockefeller did when he was asked how much money was was enough money for him, and he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. What is it or, or who is it that defines you? I'm convinced that, that the season of Lent that we're, we're only just beginning, we're just a few days in, is it's, it's about trying to help us to discover again who we are. We do that with a period of fasting, a, a season of, of intense prayer, of study of the Scriptures, a season of preparing ourselves to hear again the story of, of God's great love for all of creation, the story of Jesus' passion and resurrection, the story of the love and, and mercy and forgiveness of God being poured out for all of us on the cross. Most of us have many different identities, father, mother, sister, brother, doctor, priest, lawyer, soldier, sailor, friend, all of those things can be well and good. But as Jesus experienced in the wilderness and as we experience in our own wildernesses of life, the identity that matters the most, the identity that should influence all other aspects of our lives is that we are, each one of us, children of God, beloved and precious. I read once that the, the great 16th century reformer of the church, Martin Luther, you all know, Martin Luther, I know, uh, he would, in his times of, of greatest stress or temptation or despair, he would, he would touch his forehead and he would say to himself, I am baptized. And he would say that over and over again. I am baptized. The story that we hear today in Luke's Gospel account on this, on this first Sunday in Lent is meant to remind us who we are. As one of my favorite priests in Sewanee would often say to the students, remember who you are and remember whose you are. I am baptized. I am beloved. I am a child of God. Everything else should stem from that identity. Amen. Let us stand now and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate on the 